Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Liquor and Lotteries has started publishing names of people charged but not convicted of committing crimes at liquor marts. And Liquor and Lotteries under fire on a few fronts over this, including a Winnipeg lawyer who joins us on the phone now. His name is Corey Sheffman. Uh, good afternoon, Corey. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you for doing this. So you've been very vocal on Twitter. Uh, tell us your concerns here. Well, you know, I think there's a number of problems. The, the very first and most obvious one is that in Canada, we have the presumption of innocence. You know, this is the bedrock, most basic, fundamental legal principle that you are not guilty of the crime until you're convicted and until that moment, you're presumed to be innocent. And yet you have this crown corporation publishing the names of people who've been arrested and charged but not convicted right. with no context whatsoever. And, you know, there's lots of, you know, the mind can take leaps. And, you know, there's, it's a very dangerous uh, precedent. And does it bother you even more that this is being done by a crown corp? Yeah, you know, I think it, it, this isn't a situation where, you know, like back in the day when the grocery store would post the names of people who, uh, you know, gave uh, bounce checks, you know, in the, the local corner store. This is a government-sponsored, a government-run monopoly. It's the only place in, uh, you know, many parts of the province that you can buy alcohol. Uh, and it, it is, you know, the, the power of the state, the power of the government coming down on people who, you know, may very well be found to have not committed the crime. Uh, you know, the other problem, uh, especially the fact with the fact that it's the government, is that they've posted full names and ages. And, you know, the fact is that people have the same names or people have similar names to one another. Right. And as you know, Google is forever. And so these names are now online permanently. And so whether it's a person who is on the list but later found to be innocent or is, you know, mistaken for somebody who's on the list, their reputation can be permanently damaged for something that they didn't do. Is there anything these people could do to get their name off the list, do you think? Not that they would, but could they sue after the fact or, or even now to get their name down? What would you advise a client to do? Well, <laughs> I'm not going to give legal advice on the radio, All right. but uh, what I can tell you is that, you know, I think that anybody, if my name was on the list, I would be looking very closely at you know, whether my reputation was being harmed, uh, at whether the, uh, my, my uh, um, you know, whether there was a chance that my identity could be stolen because this public, this personal information is being posted publicly on a government website. Uh, you know, I think there's lots of really concerning questions that need to be, uh, that need to be asked. Uh, and if anybody whose name appears on that list, uh, I absolutely would suggest that they get legal advice. Um, you know, but I, I want to be clear that even if 
there's no, you know, cause of action. There's no right to sue. From a, a moral perspective, from an ethical perspective, sure. yeah. this is this, this is massive overreach by the government. I'm not saying that there isn't a problem with theft from the LC. Right. I'm not saying that the LC can't do something about it, but this isn't doing something about it. This is publicly shaming people who haven't been found to have done anything wrong. Yeah, and we know there's a problem, and we understand why they're doing this, but I had a lot of these same thoughts myself uh, in reading your, your Twitter feed. Another thought that came to my mind is that, you know, alcoholism is a disease, and many of these people may be suffering with a disease, and, you know, that is another angle, I think, that is worth discussing. That's right, and I think you have two issues that come out of that. The first one is that you're now publicly publicly humiliating people on account of their disease. Uh, And the second is that, you know, you have to, I'm not an expert in mental illness, I'm not an expert in in addiction, but I have to imagine that if a person is, is so driven by their addiction to, you know, to steal, that posting their name on a website isn't going to stop them from doing that. And so not only is it, uh, is it unethical and, you know, contrary to the presumption of innocence, but it also isn't going to be a particularly effective policy either. So now you're, you know, you're potentially ruining people's reputations. You're, you're overstepping as the government, but you're not actually accomplishing anything as a result. Corey, anything else before I let you go? No, that was, uh, thanks for very much for having me. I'm glad we had this discussion. I hope that, uh, you know, the, the, the Manitoba Liquor and Lotteries Commission reconsiders this really misguided policy. Corey, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Have a good day. So yesterday, the province announced mandatory truck driver training for new drivers of 121 and a half hours. Mark Deck is an instructor and career counselor at Professional Transport Driver Training School here in Winnipeg. Uh, Mark, thanks uh, for doing this. I appreciate it. Not a problem. All right, so uh, what do you think? 121 and a half hours mandatory training starting September 1st. Good on the province to bring in mandatory training, but uh, in my opinion, it's not enough. We have a program in place of 244 hours, so to me it's basically taking a step backwards. But bringing in a mandatory hour is a good thing. So, but you don't think 121 and a half hours is enough, really? No, no, I don't. I think your quality of training is going to go down. Um, the people that are coming in, uh, when they leave here, they're, they're not going to be ready. A lot of them aren't ready after 244 hours, let alone 121. So it's good that there's something there now, because before there was nothing. You could go in, get your class one, and not have a minute of training. Now at least they have to have 121 and a half hours, or at least starting in September they do. Um, But you don't think that's enough at the end of the day. Yeah. uh, Like I said, mandatory, great that it's in. Um, And again, we have a 244-hour program in place. Um, My opinion, you know, why take a step back? Uh, I know they talk about harmonization between Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, but we've had this in place for 10 or 11 years. Um, Why are we not the leader instead of a follower? 
So what would be the difference then, Mark? And we're still waiting for details, you know, from the province on this 121 and a half hour. Well, first of all, let me ask you this. Will your school, Professional Transport Driver Training School, try to become one of the schools that will give the 121 hours? Well, we are kind of hoping that the education and training part of it, the, the part that does the funding, will stay with the 240-hour program and leave that as the fundable program. Bring in the mandatory of 121, which is fine, but don't make that the fundable one. Um, for us to change our curriculum, I mean, we can do it, but again, like I said before, you've got something in place, why take a step backwards? Uh, what we will lose by the 121 is you're going to lose observation time in the truck. You're going to lose uh, training time on the airboard. Just for instance, we spend about 28 hours learning the airbrake system, or the students do. And with the new program, they're looking at six and a half of hours of training to learn it. And this is all really important stuff, right? I mean, this is, in your opinion, and you do this every day, you teach these drivers every day, this is stuff that you believe drivers heading out there behind the wheel of a truck need to have. Of course. I mean, the two most important things in any truck, in any vehicle, it doesn't matter what's your car or a, a semi, is brakes and steering. If you don't know how your air brake system works, uh, how are you going to stop the truck properly? How are you going to diagnose it if there's a problem? Um, the air brake manual is 88 pages long, and the test is 30 minutes long. And they're giving us six and a half hours in the new program to learn that. Hmm. Hey, go back to what you were saying about the fundable. Uh, you want the your program, 240 hours, to be fundable. What, what, explain what that means. What do you mean by that? Okay, what it is right now is education and training, uh, Service Canada, unemployment, they fund truck driver training, and they fund any any course, not only truck driver training. But right now, the 244-hour program is the fundable course. So anybody going in can get it subsidized, helped out to get the proper training. Right. If they bring in and don't fund the 244 and only fund the 121, like I said at the beginning, we're taking a step backwards instead of forwards. And it's all about safety. You're going to cut 120 hours of training out. So you're taking safety away from it. And we don't know the answer to that question yet, right? No, we don't. We, all we know is it's 121 and a half hours coming in September 1st. But what we have to do, we do not know that yet. Yeah. Would you, would you worry? Yeah, how do I want to word this? I get what you're saying. You're saying, hey, it's great that everybody's going to have sort of that 121-hour level of training, but you're worried that a lot of people that would have taken the 240 now will go with 120, and now, yes, everybody's got some training, but more people, not as many people have, the, in your opinion, the proper amount of training they should have. Yeah, they won't have the proper amount, and they're going to walk out of here at 121 hours, and it's it's your family, my family, everybody's family that's on the road in front of these guys. And if you're not trained properly, I mean, we could end up with another humble situation somewhere down the road. And then what is it? Oh, we didn't. It's all about training. So why take something away that's already there? 
Do you think there's pressure out there, uh, Mark, and, and I'm hearing from some people that I talk to that there's pressure to get some kind of a national standard in place? Do you think maybe that's where the 240 comes in? Maybe there needs to be something Canada-wide when it comes to training? Uh, we've talked about that for years. And the 244-hour program how it was brought in in conjunction with MPI, PVI, like th- everybody had a hand in this 11 years ago. And it's there for the reason of safety. So now we're like, you know, and I don't mean to repeat myself, but we're taking a step backwards instead of leaping forward. Why do we follow somebody? We had a program. Let's carry it through. Don't back up. Go forward. Yeah. Do you know, and and maybe you don't know, Mark, and I understand that you're an instructor and a career counselor at uh, Professional Transport Driver Training School. Do you know if the province talked to your organization or or an association or whatever that you belong to about this? Did they consult with the schools or your school about this before bringing in this mandatory 121 and a half? Yes, there were uh, a couple of meetings that we had that we were all invited to, all the schools, uh, trucking companies around Winnipeg. We had uh, a couple here in Winnipeg, uh, one in Brandon, and we got everybody together and we threw our, our we put our input in. And uh, this is what they've come up with, is 121 hours. And uh, and again, like I said, I just, I personally, I don't feel it's enough. Yeah. And uh, and as you said, that's your personal opinion. Are you hearing that from other instructors as well, other schools out there? Or, or what's the reaction you're hearing? You're dealing with these young truckers every day, and, and you're in the industry. Well, all the other schools that, that we associate with, really, in our, um, with our 244 program, we all agree the same thing. We need that 244. For people coming in, they say, oh, you know, six weeks training, that's a long time. And then after the six weeks, when they're leaving, they're going, we need more time. Like, we ha- this, is, this is just touching, you know, the tip of the iceberg. So, you know, if, if the government actually talked to the people who did the training and took what they say, I'm sure they would have maybe come up with a little bit more. Yeah, I'll just ask this one, and I appreciate your time today, Mark. And and I, uh, but I will now hear from some listeners. They will text or call or email and say, "Well, Hal, professional transport driver training school is a business. They got to make money. Of course, he wants two forty four and not one twenty one." Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, how, how do you want me to respond? Well, to that? I, but what, but what? your your point is you're you really believe that it needs to be two forty four compared to you've already made your point. So I maybe yeah, I'm I, asked, I believe, maybe I'm yeah, spinning you around in it, circles here. Yeah, I believe it, it's got to come down to the safety, and really, the dollar is people are going to pay for training. Whether you're you know whether you're getting this opinion from me as a school or in an individual, right? If you're trained properly, you're not going to have problems. Right, And I don't care where you get your training, whether it be from our school or any other school in town, but get the proper training. It's all about safety. Very well said. Awkward question on my part. Very well said, Mark. Thanks a lot for your time. I really appreciate it. Not a problem. Have a good day. Mark Deck is an instructor and career counselor at Professional Transport Driver Training School. Yeah, WrestleMania is coming up. Uh, we're going to get to Dave Patrician, the sports doctor, here in just a moment. WrestleMania, for the first time ever, 
will feature an all-female main event. It's a, uh, well, let me bring him in here. Dave Patrician, hello, sir, how are you? Outstanding, thank you, Hal. Triple threat match, Ronda Rousey, a lot of people will know that name. Also, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. How, how does a triple threat match work? Basically, it's all, all three competitors in the, in the match. Now, and this is an interesting twist on this match because uh, um, if everybody, anyone who follows the WWE knows there's two separate brands. There's the Raw brand, and Ronda, Ronda Rousey is the women champion on the Raw, on the Raw brand. Right. And yesterday, Charlotte Flair captured the SmackDown Women's Championship. So um, Becky Lynch is not a champion, has, been a, has held a title in the past before. So uh, the way a triple threat match works is the first person to score a pin fall on anybody wins the match. So if, um, for instance, let's say if Becky Lynch was to, to pin uh, Charlotte Flair, she would be the SmackDown champion. If she was to beat Ronda Rousey, she would be the Raw Women's champion. Or if Ronda Rousey was to, to pin Charlotte Flair, she would capture both titles. Like she would have the cha- her championship and capture the other one. Gotcha. And of course, if Charlotte Flair pinned Becky Lynch, Nope, nothing happens. <laughs> All the championship stays the same. Yeah. WrestleMania 35, it will happen at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey on the uh, WWE Network and on pay-per-view. It's happening April 7th. I want to get to what sort of got me thinking about WrestleMania. But now this is an example where I think in wrestling, if you want to call it a sport, it's maybe uh, it's maybe sports entertainment, but correct. Um, and, and we'll get to women in sport, but this sort of relates. This might be one example where people might enjoy watching the women wrestle more than the men. Am I right about that or wrong? Well, women's wrestling has been around for a long, long time. And I can even remember going back to the old Winnipeg arena and it was a special attraction then. And, and in those days, the women, it was kind of like Ryan reminds me of, um, Ladies' shots of the beach from the 40s, right? There was not a lot of, um, uh, let's just say, there were lo- the, the women wrestlers were very covered up. It yeah. wasn't very glamorous. Sure. Uh, and then in the uh, 80s and 90s, and even to the 2000s, the, the ladies became divas. And it was the the era of women wrestlers that were really kind of just models or swimsuit models that didn't have much wrestling ability. So now it has progressed to back to um, women. They're on the on the same level as the men in terms of championships yep. and things like that. But there we're seeing like we look at someone like Ronda Rousey, like the first American woman to capture a medal in the Olympics in judo, like the first women's UFC women's champion. I mean, these are phenomenal athletes. Charlotte Flair has a good pedigree uh, before, and you know her father being a former. 16-time world heavyweight champion too. So these are legitimate athletes now in in the in the sports entertainment business, um, and they can really um, put on a, a, a tremendous match. And before. You know, it was not the case. It was just like it was a, it was a special attraction, kind of like the um, at the time they called them the Mighty Midgets, but that was uh, something in a different era before. Right. It was like they brought them in once a year. It was kind of a novelty act, like they br- they would bring in Andre the Giant, like it was just kind of like a you know a circus rolling through town. But now um, the, it's almost if you, if you watch a three hour WWE Raw on Monday night, I would say that almost half of the program is 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 devoted to the uh, the, the, the the female athletes. And you know what? This might, and again, it's not a, a true sport, but it might be the only example where there's maybe as much interest in the women as in the men, because that's not the case in golf. That's not the case in, uh, maybe you could argue curling a little bit, maybe in pretty comparable men and men and women and, 
And I think a lot of people believe women curling, women's curling is, is more entertaining than men. Uh, basketball, I think of the WNBA, certainly the men uh, get more money. Uh, there's more money spent by sponsors. Ratings would be better. Any thoughts, Dave, the sports doctor, Dave Patrician, the sports doctor, on on why we don't have as much interest in women playing sports compared to men? Well, I believe, uh, and you listed uh, curling as a great example of a, of a sport that the, the women have really r- r- rose up in the last bunch of years. And, and who could ever forget the uh, the U.S.-Canada game of the 2012 uh, Summer Olympics and the performance by Christine Sinclair and that for Canada. Mm. I mean, those are that, those are some tremendous sports moments. But I think just like anything, it's generational. I think that, uh, you know, I, I still think if you were to ask, um, uh, ask people in the media, well, other than a, a great shout-out to Leah Hextall, who's going to be calling the NCAA men's hockey tournament coming up. Uh, your, your very own Leah Hextall, that's going to be tremendous. But I think the, the mainstream sports media is still controlled by men. Sports editors are men. I think, uh, I think a lot more um, emphasis is put on those ones. You know, I'm not trying to, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but their men are traditionally bigger and stronger. Um, and if you just you talk about professional wrestling, um, you're going to see a lot more action in a men's match in terms of like a physicality and, uh, and and brutality and things like that and you're going to see a lot more moves that it's that are larger than life yeah. that are absolutely larger than life and where the the, the ladies it is still physical and it's still fast act action but it's just not the same intensity they're not they're not <laughs> you don't really think these two women want to kill each other and yeah. that's where sometimes professional wrestling but but if you think about uh hockey like the you know the tremendous female athletes coming up in hockey i think the tide is slowly turning i think that you know when when i was growing up there was no women's hockey there's no girls hockey yeah. it was ringette you played ringette mm-hmm. and uh, when you want to play hockey forget it like <laughs> you shave that blade off and then you're playing ringette so yeah. i think the world is world is evolving i think you know girls are growing up knowing that they can do they can set their mind to anything they want to do and i think that's what you're seeing in sports now i was reading an article i, I was on an airplane yesterday reading an article about a, a a woman going up in the referee ranks in canada and hope see she hopes someday to be an nhl referee we've seen female referees in the nfl so we're seeing a big different a big change in that in, in that too but um you know it, it's i think you're seeing generations too like i'm 54 you're the same age as me yep. uh soon to be 55 i know coming up fast <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but I think that we're still you know you, you hockey night in Canada that was yeah. part of our life NFL football that was part of our life you know and and we've seen tremendous uh, crowds for uh, the women's soccer championship a few years yeah. ago at Investors Group Field but I really still think that the emphasis and the biggest sporting events in the world are still the men. We're talking Super Bowl, World Series, NHL playoffs, the men's basketball at the Olympic Games, yeah. things like that, right? You know, whereas the women sometimes get a lot of notoriety in the fringe sports, you know, skiing, you know, things like that, or, yeah. you know, you think of things like that. So, but I think, but I, but absolutely, times are changing. It's changing. WrestleMania yeah. is a great event. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it, it is changing. It takes time, right? It can take decades. And I think sometimes in sports, uh, you know, the fan wants to see the best. And mm-hmm. often the best is, uh, in 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 these sports, is, is often it's a, a league like the NFL that's been around for a long time as opposed to the WNBA, which is a league that hasn't been around for a long time. So it, it takes time. 
And that's funny that you would bring up Leah Hextall because that's exactly why I wanted to have this discussion with you. And we started it with the fact that WrestleMania, for the first time ever, has an all-female main event because, as you mentioned, our Leah Hextall, Hextall on hockey, is going to be the first woman to do play-by-play for an NCAA men's hockey championship this weekend on ESPN. And congratulations, Leah. But that surprises me that uh, we haven't seen a woman do that before now. I think I think everybody who follows the the Winnipeg Jets is probably knows of Cassie Campbell because of the commercials right. on TV for that and her work, of course, on Hockey Night in Canada. But uh, but but the and of course the imp- impressive pedigree that she brings. But you know you, you you don't see a lot of that. I mean, for a long long time on uh, National Football League broadcasts. The sideline reporter, it was a little bit of fluff. It, it was regarded as fluff. And, and uh, you could see that, you know, 20 years ago in the, in the caliber of questions and how the athletes would react to the women asking that now. Yeah. And uh, could you imagine now if, if someone, you know, called someone baby or honey on a, on well, a sideline reporter? no, never. Like, and, 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 and it shouldn't happen. Let yeah. me play a clip. I'm running out of time, Dave, but I want to play a clip here. This is Leah Hextall on the start this morning, Mackling McGarry McNabb. Talking about her uh, uh, job on ESPN this week, and again, the first woman to do play-by-play for an NCAA men's hockey championship. And and listening, l- listen to this because this is interesting. Uh, how uh, she talks about uh, you know what's available to a woman like her in sports broadcasting. Listen, you know when I started my sports broadcasting career, and when you think of my background and being around hockey all my life, when I walked through the door at CKX and Brandon. My goal was to work for Hockey Night in Canada because as a reporter or a studio host, because that's what I had seen growing up. And I never thought about, oh, I could do play-by-play one day because I didn't see women doing it. I don't think there has ever been someone closing a door saying, no, we don't want women in this role. I think more so that it's a very unique and different skill. And I can say that wholeheartedly because I'm actually trying to do it right now. You need to know not only how to broadcast well, which takes years to do, as all of you know, but you also need the skill of understanding the game at a different type of level, at a very fast level, which takes many years to accomplish as well. So I really don't know if it's a door that was ever closed as more so a woman saying, I would like to do this. That's interesting that, you know, she didn't see a woman doing play-by-play, so she never thought of doing play-by-play. Now some girl is going to see Leah do play-by-play and say, I can do that. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, exactly. Back to my point. I mean, with the with the, with the women's soccer, and we talk, we referenced the uh, Olympic soccer game, the the the, the women playing in in in, in the WNBA. Yeah. Where now little girls are going to get up, and they, you know, they're going to go to school, and they're going to be playing playing a basketball at a school level, yep. and they're going. One day I'd like to play in that league, right. and one day I want to play. I want to play on the soccer team. One day I want to compete for a, for a gold medal in the in the Winter Olympics in hockey. Mm. And there, and you're seeing that where like when Leah was growing up, as she referenced, never happened. She was she was no. actually a trailblazer. No. Is a trailblazer. Yeah, absolutely. Anyhow, we're uh, we're happy for you, Leah. Congratulations, and uh, we'll all be watching. Hey, um, so back to WrestleMania, uh, Dave. Do you have a favorite entertainer that's been at WrestleMania over the years? Snoop Dogg, Pitbull, Kid Rock, Motorhead, any of those run DMC. They've all been there. They've all performed. 
Yeah, I, I'm a I'm a very big, very much a Kid Rock fan, and uh, and I enjoyed his performance. And he's in the, now in the WWE Hall of Fame. And this yep. year, it's going to be Joan Jett because uh, she uh, the bad reputation is Ronda Rousey's uh, ring music when she comes out, and Joan Jett will be there live. A perfect segue, Dave. Thank you. Thanks. Dave Patrician, the sports doctor, joining us here on CJOB. You can follow him on Twitter at the sports doctor. A little Joan Jet. As we head to a break, turn it up, camp. Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.